be hearing a message that's going to be shared from uh, someone who is a friend of our church. He's been coming now for a few summers, and uh, some of you maybe already have noticed in the, in the bio there, Doug Richardson is going to be sharing with us. Doug is a, a co-owner, along with his wife, of Awake Coaching. They're, they're life coaches. That's what they do. They work with businesses and, a lot, and they do also personal work as well. And that's something that they've been doing now for a number of years, well over a decade, although this Awake Coaching is a relatively new business that they are engaged in. But I say that because you would, Doug's, when I first met Doug, he wasn't in life coaching. He was actually a pastor. We were going through a training together. I met him well, well over a decade and a half ago, or at least close to it. And um, we also went, ended up going to the same seminary, working on our same advanced degrees together. But we struck up a, a real friendship. And uh, Doug's, Doug, along the way, he and his wife felt a strong sense that they needed to make a shift in their lives. They had been pastoring at the same church that they had actually started in Long Beach, Long Beach Christian Fellowship, for about 27 years when they made a jump. They felt led to make in a season of transition in their lives um, to move into this other area. And it was, it was quite a, a challenge of faith that they walked through. You know, I know what it's like to pastor in a church for a long time. And um, you, you, do, you, do have to, you do have to have a sense that, that you're really moving, being moved by God to, to leave something you've committed yourself to for that many, many years. So, what, okay, I say all that quickly. I, I need to move on because my introduction can start going out there, right? But he brings not only the perspective of a pastor for three decades, so there's a theological, biblical context, but one of the things that I asked Doug to do as well was just to share from the context of what he's now doing as a life coach. So there'll be a real practical side to this. We are unabashed in our desire to see people move forward in, in both our, our life with God, but also our life construction. And so, in a way, we're going to be hearing from someone who's really good at addressing this theme of building a healthy kind of confidence that creates an environment for God to really use our lives in a more significant way. So with that in mind, with an expectation that we're about to receive something that will be a strengthening word for us, let's give Doug Richardson a nice warm welcome. Can we do that? Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be with you. It is always great to be with Cornerstone. This is a privilege for me. I am so pleased. We live just an hour north in Santa Rosa, and I have to tell you, the drive down yesterday and this morning, it's just, it just fills my heart with joy. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons why is because people with confidence, people who are growing in confidence, are surrounded by people who add to that quotient in their life. A quotient, uh, by definition, is a degree or an amount of a specified quality or characteristic. I had to look that up because I was not very good in math. I was a humanities guy. And so uh, when I wanted to use that word in my message title, I thought, wow, I, I better know what it means. A degree or amount of a specified quality or characteristic. And what I've noticed is, is that my confidence in being around Cornerstone has been enhanced through the years. Uh, just to be specific, 15 years ago, I met Terry. And it was just destined for us to be buddies. We sat next to each other in, in school. And we both had kind of a sick, demented sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, I would prod him to ask questions I didn't have the nerve to ask at the time. And he would do it with joy in his heart. And it was, just, it was just meant to be. 
And, uh, and then eventually he, he invited me into the community here to begin to speak. And what I noticed is when I left your presence, my confidence in life was really enhanced. And I imagine you can probably see that dynamic exists in life, that who you hang around and who you talk with, it really has an effect on you, either for an expansion or maybe even for a decrease of your confidence. And I got to tell you, even more specifically, my relationship with your pastor, with Terry, he's been a dear friend of mine. And when we started making really significant changes, some of those changes were scary for us. Big changes after doing what we've done for so many years. I have to tell you, I would come and I'd have coffee with him. And I still do. About every three or four months, we just sit down and talk and share a life. And I go away from his presence and he adds to my confidence. So, you know, the scriptures are pretty clear about be mindful about who you surround yourself with because we aren't islands to ourselves, and people have an effect upon us and we have an effect upon other people. It's a good way to think about like what, how, you know, how do I leave people when I'm with them? Are their confidence, is their confidence level increasing in life? My prayer is today your confidence quotient would expand. That's what I'm shooting for. So here I go. Yeah, about 14 months ago, we made a significant change. We started coaching about 10 years ago. People said, why did you start coaching? Well, the short answer is, is we sensed God had put something in us that was not yet fully realized through what we were doing. There was like another expression of the goodness of God through us. And so through a story I can't obviously tell right now, we were led to do uh, coaching, and we've been doing that. And God has been blessing our way. And we have been touching and working with people and organizations and churches in different parts of the country. Would never ha- we would never even have reason uh, to be working with had we not taken these steps. Having said that, 14 months ago when we created Awake Coaching, by the way, we named it Awake Coaching is because we noticed how easy it was in life for us to be awake to what was possible. We noticed how easy in life it was to settle. We noticed how easy in life it was to just live life with kind of like on simmer rather than on high flame. I think you know what I'm talking about. And so we actually sought the scriptures, and in seeking the scriptures, we noticed there was a scripture that says, you know what, it's the night is far spent. It's time to, to wake up, Romans 13 says. And so we started to do that ourselves. We decided to create a business that invited other people, inspire other people, coach other people, teach other people, whatever was needed to create this sense of what would it be like if you lived life awake just to the day itself, let alone to the people around you, let alone to the possibilities of what God has called you to do and the legacy he's called you to leave in life. So we're very excited about what we're doing. Having said that, When we started this and we took our leap of faith, I noticed two things about my life. First of all, is I had some confidence. Hence, we made a change. If there had not been any confidence, I would not have made the change. So we had a level of confidence. But what I also noticed is is that in taking that leap of faith, I also discovered at the very same time, I had a lack of confidence. I don't know if any of you can relate to that conundrum. But I had both happening at the same time. I have confidence, and I don't have confidence? Really? Is that possible? Well, then, because I am a student of Scripture, I realized, Lord, is there any place in the Bible where this is happening? Well, let me tell you, I had more than one place I could pick from. But the one I decided to open up this message with today was the message about a father who loved his son, and his son had a lot of problems. His son had some serious, serious afflictions that needed healing. And he had taken his son to the disciples. This comes out of the ninth chapter of Mark. 
And the disciples, for whatever reason, were not able to effect the healing that was needed for the son. Now, they were extending the ministry of Jesus. Remember, he sent them out two by two and then by 70 to expand and to extend his ministry of health and wholeness to people. But for whatever apparent reason, and I'm, I'm suspicious, I'm thinking they might have lacked some confidence. But we're not told that, so I'm just surmising. But nevertheless, even though the father is not able to secure the healing through these disciples, this father, being like every good dad, what does he do? He goes after Jesus directly. And he says, Jesus, he says, if you just have compassion on us, something can happen here. And of course, Jesus turns to this man with love in his eyes, and he says, listen, all things are possible to him who believes. Or if I could paraphrase it in my own words, I might say, listen, if you have confidence, right, something good can happen here for your son. Well, the father, and this is the scripture I want you to look at right now, is that this father says this. He says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears. Can you just feel what this father's feeling for his son? And he says, Lord, I believe. He had some confidence, didn't he? But then he said, help my unbelief. When I read this, I thought, that guy sounds just like me. I have confidence, and I don't have confidence. I have both. Well, there's some really good news here. Jesus doesn't turn to this guy and say, hey, listen, deal's off. You have to have perfect confidence for me to you know, get anything happening here. No. Jesus looked at this man, and he acts on what he has. And guess what? This man secured the healing of his son, a breakthrough for someone he loved. Even with the confidence that he had, I hope that encourages you. It certainly has encouraged me over the last 14 months because I've had more than one day of when my faith went spiraling down, when I thought, oh my gosh, am I going to have enough money? Are we going to be able to do this? How is this going to work? Where is this going to come from? And my confidence level has just you know, fluctuated very low some days and some days very high. I felt a little bit manic depressive, if you know what I mean, in terms of faith. But then I realized it's really not a problem for Jesus because Jesus is more than willing, just like he was in that day in the Holy Lands with that man. He's very willing to work with what we have. I hope that encourages somebody who's here today. So I'd like to actually take that phrase, help my unbelief, and I'd like to suggest to you that your confidence, I'm using faith and confidence interchangeably, rightfully so, I'm asking you to accept the possibility that your confidence, the quotient of it, the amount of it, actually can increase and that you have something to do with expanding it. It's not just something you can pray over and say, Lord, just do it on your own apart from me, that there's somehow a partnership. You have something to do with the possibility of your confidence level increasing in life. And I'm going to suggest to you that your confidence level increasing is a very important part of your experience of life and the experience of life you create for other people around you. You can probably imagine that's true as well. So let's get to it. So the very first way that I'm going to suggest to you, the essential way that will help you to expand your confidence is how you regard your word. More specifically, the making and keeping of promises to yourself, and it also involves others. How you regard your word. Now, it says here in Proverbs 4, 23 and 24, it's in your handout, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Now, what I noticed is through the time of considering the scripture through the years, generally, 
what is, how it's regarded is, it's like, you know, there's a lot of evil out there in life. There's a lot of negative influences, and so you need to guard your heart. You need to be, you know, really circumspect. You need to really watch out what you expose your heart to because it's from your heart that everything comes, and it's going to, you know, you could pollute the well, so to speak. Well, I have to tell you, I think there's a lot of truth to that, so no argument there. And as I read the scripture, I read, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips from you. So it tells me something here from just from a looking at scripture standpoint that there's some relationship between how I regard my word and how I keep my heart. And that's why I'm saying making and keeping promises, how you relate to the words that you state to yourself is a very key essential ingredient in you increasing your confidence quotient in life. Consider this quote by Stephen Covey. This is actually Stephen Covey, the son. It's in your handout. It's around the idea of trust, but hear it through the lens of this conversation of confidence. Studies around trust reveal a direct relationship between levels of trust and the making and keeping of promises. Where promises are made and kept, trust is high. I would suggest where promises are made and kept to yourself, confidence is high. Where promises are few or broken, trust is low. This dynamic operates at the organizational level, the friendship level, the marital level, and note this, and the intrapersonal level, intrapersonal existing or occurring within the individual self or mind. Now, most of us are familiar with the context of interpersonal trust. Now, what would be helpful for you to know is that's what I did my doctoral work in is how to repair, how to establish, how to increase and expand trust with, between individuals and among congregations, specifically in organizations. Because why would that be important? Because where trust levels are high, or shall I say where confidence level is high, there is a, there is a fuller experience of life for the community, and there is a greater impact of the touch of that community on the people around them. So that's the interpersonal level between people. So as Kobe writes, is, is that when promises are made to people, can you imagine being in a relationship with a person, say a friend, and that person makes a promise to you and they break it, and then they make another promise to you and they break it, and then they make another promise to you and they break it. What is your confidence in that person going to be, low or high? It's going to be low. And vice versa, if you're in relationship with a person who's keeping their word to you, where's your confidence level going to be? It's going to be high. This is common sense. We all understand this. What you need to understand is what is true between people is also true intrapersonally, how you are with yourself. I don't know if you know this, but you are having a relationship with yourself, whether you like it or not. We are always having some type of relationship with ourselves. And what I mean by that is we're making promises to ourselves, and we're either keeping them or we're not. And when what happens is, is when people don't keep their promise, the confidence level goes down. So re here's what research shows. Every year in America, over half of the US population makes promises to themselves. They're called New Year's resolutions. <laughs> well, guess what? Of half of the population of the United States, we're now talking in excess right, of 130, 140 million people only 8% of those people keep the promises they make to themselves. Now, it's easy to kind of laugh about that and kind of shrug it off, but actually, when you really get into the dynamic that so few people keep promises to themselves, what you have to understand is what's the impact? Here's the impact. 
It hacks away at the level of individual self-confidence. So just consider, if you actually make promises to yourself, what are the possibilities for expanding the confidence in your own life? So here's a, it's a real simple example. I'm getting, in fact, a week from right now, I'm going to be in a triathlon. It's a, it's a big, long triathlon. I'll talk to you about it in a minute. But suffice it to say is, is that one of the things the trainers suggest is, hey, Doug, trim off 10 pounds because wouldn't you like to carry, you know, if you were, I, why do I want to trim off 10 pounds? I'm happy with how I look, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, would you like to carry around a 10-pound roast for 70, 70 miles? I said, point well taken. Got it? Got it? I said carrying around for one mile might be one thing. 70 plus, I, I get it. No, no explanation needed. So I made a promise to myself about eight weeks ago to lose about a pound and a half a week, trim off 10 pounds. Guess what? It's all off. Yeah. I'm really happy about that because I have to tell you, I actually kept a promise to myself. Now, what do you think? Like, I, I say I do an event in six months or seven months and I need to trim off a little bit of weight and I make a similar promise. What's my confidence going to be that I actually can keep my word to myself? Probably higher than if I had made this promise to myself, didn't keep my word for myself, I would be up against the fact, well, I didn't keep my word then. What, how am I going to you know, think I'm going to keep my word this time? So you can see how this plays out. So now I have a challenge for you. Are you ready? It doesn't have to do about weight, but you can if you want to. It can be about anything you want. But, you know, over the last few years, the, the larger church has uh, had all sorts of programs. You know, 40 days of purpose and 30 days of prayer and, you know, one day of fasting and whatever, right? They've had all sorts of different types of things. I don't think we want to fast as long as we, as we, uh, as, as we focus on purpose. But be that as it may, I have a challenge for you. What if... You took the challenge for 30 days of making promises to yourself and regarding your word, relating to your word, and keeping your word. You kept your heart with all diligence about the promises you made to yourself. Now, you say, well, okay, the way I'll do this is I just won't make any promises to myself. No, that's not the point. <laughs> right? If a per when there's no promises in a relationship, confidence will be low. Relationships, relationships with, between people rise as you make promises and keep promises. So you can't escape on that premise. So here's what I'm asking you to do is make some promises to yourself that matter to you, keep them, and measure your confidence quotient at the beginning and at the end. Jury's already in on this one, and you already know where it's going to go. So if you, wanna, if you actually want to expand your confidence quotient in life, there's one good way to do it. Second way. Build on your core strength. Now, I already told you I'm doing a triathlon. And yeah, it's a 70.3, which means I'm going to be in the water for 1.2 miles on the Russian River, and then I'm going to cycle for 56 miles to the vineyards, and then I'm going to run a half marathon consecutively. That's the concept, right? So I've done these things before, but I haven't done this length. And when I decided to do this length, I consulted with my coaches and my trainers and got some advice. And guess what they all said? They say, hey, listen. One of the essential things to really building your confidence for the day of the event is to build your core strength. This is basic. I go, well, how do you do that? And they go, well, here's this famous word, train. You're going to train. It's not just going to be for a day. It's not just going to be for a week. You're going to train week on, week out, week on. When you don't want to train, when you don't feel like training, when you're not in the mood to train, you're going to train. 
You're going to train in the fine details of swimming and all the various events, and you're going to train with weights, and you're going to do all that type of stuff. But what's going to happen is through the course of training, and you're actually, now notice they didn't say read books about training. Just talk to me about training. They actually said to develop core strength, you need to train, you need to engage, you need to activate. Like, this is a good word when you actually think about how we relate to our life of faith, right? Some people would just like to read the book. Some people would just like to hear people talk about the book. But I got to tell you, core strength is really developed not out of just hearing or other people talk about it or just reading about it, but it's about active engagement. Psalm 62 says here, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Well, I got to tell you, when I read Psalm 62, it sounds like I'm talking to one of my personal trainers. Except the core strength in Psalm 62 is God. It's clear. He's the rock. He's the strength. He is the basis for how I actually, shall I say it, make it through this endurance event called life. How many of you ever noticed that it takes some endurance to live? In fact, the scripture even says it. You know, after you've endured, hang on because you'll receive the reward. Jesus even endured. So there's this concept of life endurance. So you say, well, how can I have confidence that I could actually just make it through life, like really, let alone make it through life in a, in a sense of fullness and uh, of hope and joy and being awake to life? Well, th here's the deal. Your confidence level can increase by training. I've had people ask me, how do you feel about it? I ask them, what's it? And they go, the event. I go, well, to be honest with you, what I have confidence is I have confidence in my training or shall I say it like this I'm trusting my training because as you do this day in day out as you do the routine of life as you start to incorporate these things at the physical level so it is with the spiritual level I have battles just like you I have ups and I have downs I've already told you that I've had times where my faith has been high and my faith has been low I've had times where it's like really what do I do here how is this going to turn out and then I have that opportunity to put to actually train, train myself by trusting when I don't see where this is going, trusting when, you know, I get the news that I didn't want to get, trusting, yet trusting, and tr training, training. Did I say training or trusting? Yes. Because training and trusting is really an dy interchangeable dynamic. And so what we find out in life is we do that, our core, our core endurance begins to expand and our confidence level goes up because guess what? Just like I've got an event a week from today, and it's an event, there's events that come in life. And just like my event is going to bring some pain. You know, after six hours, your body begins to break down, your legs start to hurt, your mind is hurting, your, everything's hurting. Everybody tells me, get ready. You know, you, how are you going to handle the pain? And I said, here's how I'm going to handle the pain. I'm going to dig down deep, and I'm going to trust my training. Good advice for the life of walking with God as well. Because I've had events where diagnoses that came my way that I wasn't expecting, kids that took a U-turn, unexpected turns in the economy, things just like you deal with. And what do you do? 
You sit around and worry like I have so often about, am I going to be able to make it through that big challenge of life? How am I going to do when that day arrives? I don't know when it arrives. What if it arrives today? What am I going to do? And you, you wonder if you really have the confidence necessary. What do you do? You build on your core. That's what you do today. And you do tomorrow. And you do it the next day. Because you never know when those events happen. I love this quote by Max Lerner. And it says, the turning point in the process of growing up is when you discover the core of strength within you that survives all hurt. That's the opportunity you have in daily life, is to actually discover what it's like to build your life through training and trusting day in and day out. And as you do, and life occurs, and even the big events of life, and some of the really painful things of life that you not only survive, but you can actually abound through it. You can not only just get through it, but you can actually excel through it. Thirdly, and finally, another way that you can expand your confidence quotient is by allowing Jesus, now listen to me, to reconnect you. Because what happens in life is we get disconnected from ourselves through acts of self-betrayal. What is self-betrayal by definition? Self-betrayal is whenever I do something contrary to what I feel I should do for another. Has that ever happened for you? It certainly has for me. There's something I thought I should do for Valerie and I didn't do, or for another person that I didn't do. Self-betrayal is what occurs when I act against my conscience. You know, your conscience is that inner voice, that, that guiding light that's signaling to you the rightness, uh, the wrongness of a particular situation. When you ignore your conscience, what happens is an act of self-betrayal that occurs. Now, you remember at the end of the Gospel of John, there's this story of, of this account, rather, of when Jesus is talking to Peter and, and Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he says to Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. What does Peter say? No way. I'm not going to deny you, Lord. Everybody else will deny you, but I'm not going to deny you. He says, oh, no, you're going to deny me. And not only are you going to deny me, but all the disciples are going to deny me. All of you are going to betray me. It wasn't just Judas. It wasn't just Peter. All of them were going to have an outage of some sort in terms of how they related to Jesus. Well, we know that Judas denied him. We know that Peter denied him. And we knew all the disciples ran away. So Jesus knew there was going to be an epidemic of self-betrayal. And the end of the Gospel of John is really about how does Jesus reconnect people in the face of an epidemic of self-betrayal. So when you come to the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21, and Jesus is having that famous uh, you know, lakeside talk with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? What is all that about? Here's what I'm suggesting. It is about not so much about Jesus patching things up between he and Peter. I think what he was doing is he was patching things up between Peter and Peter. I think he saw that in the face of self-betrayal that Peter had stepped back from self. Just think, when you betray yourself, when you act against your own conscience, what is the experience inside you? And, and if I can I use a big academic term, I call it ontological disconnection, OD. And what is ontological disconnection? Ontology is your way of being, your way of being with yourself. It's when we get disconnected from ourself. And this is when we start experiencing an experience of life where we feel like we're sending out a shell or just an apparition or just a part of us, but we're not fully there with people because we know that we have really stepped back from our values and what we really believe and what's important to us, but yet we're still kind of just existing 
settling. And sometimes, even worse, we'll send out imposters, you know, some sort of like pretend version of us, all the time knowing that we're not really being authentic. We're not really living from the core of what's important to us in life. Somehow we've stepped back from that. Jesus is like going, no way, that is not going to cut it as we go forward with the plan for the church. So what does he do? He makes breakfast on the seaside of that, that, that place called the Sea of Galilee, a lake, large lake, and he's cooking fish, and he's got everything ready, and the disciples are out there fishing. And once again, they've caught nothing, even though they fished all night. Have you ever thought about what poor fishermen those people were? <laughs> time and time again, we're told they caught nothing, they caught nothing. You just kind of knew there was a lesson here. And Jesus says, hey, did you try the right side of the boat? They throw it over to the right side of the boat, and John says they catch 153 fish. Details. So, they, so many fish, they can't even pull it in. And then all of a sudden, they recognize it's the voice of the Lord, and the Peter, once again, he can't seem to wait for the boat to get to the, you know, the shore. He's out running, you know, not on top of the water this time, but he's in the water, running towards Jesus, and this is where this famous conversation occurs. And this conversation sounds like this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I have this, I have this vision of Jesus' face smiling while he's having this conversation. Because really what I think Jesus is doing overall in all of this story is he's actually leading Peter back to a full experience of Peter. Three conversations I'm going to suggest that help us reconnect with ourselves in life. And they're all from this text. First of all is the conversation of dependence. You see, when he says, did you catch anything? He is reconnecting Peter to something he had taught the disciples and Peter a zillion times. And that is, here it is. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, it kind of sounds like I'm talking out of two sides of my theological mouth this morning. He said, I thought you said you... Yeah, I thought you said that our confidence can increase, and that's important. Now you're telling me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Which is it? Yes. Too often, we take truths and we dissect them like it's one or the other. But I like what John Wesley said. John Wesley was one of the great leaders of the church in the 18th century, and he accomplished so much for, for God and so much for the church and so much in terms of waking people up. To, to who Jesus is and salvation and all that. John Wesley said this, I work as if it totally depends on me knowing it totally depends on God. So was John Wesley confident? Yes. Was he relying on his confidence alone? No. But was his confidence important? Yes. Was he relying on God? Yes. Was he relying on God alone? Yes. No, yes. He was relying on all of it. He was full pedal in the full spectrum of life. He was doing everything he could to raise his own confidence, but while he did it, his confidence was always on God. At the same time, both and, together. So that's what Jesus is really saying. Listen, for you to go forward here, you need to get reconnected with the fact that apart from me, you can do nothing. And ironically, as you get clear about that in life, and apart from God, you can do nothing, then you actually go into the 
flip side of that truth where Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, got it. Second thing he, he connects him to conversationally is his acceptance. He prepares a meal for him. And in that culture, let me tell you, I, I have said this at every single service. I, if I was had people betrayed me, I don't know that I would be cooking him breakfast. I think we'd be having the real last supper, right? <laughs> so I just have to tell you that here's Jesus cooking a meal. But in that culture, you know what that meant? That meant, listen, nothing's changed. You don't decide who I am for you. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I accepted you before, during, and after. And now, here's the deal. Get reconnected that it's not about your failures or your successes in life. It's about the fact that I accept you. And get reconnected with that by just accepting your acceptedness. That's a Brennan Manning quote. One of the greatest things in life that can raise your confidence is rather than trying to perform for acceptance, it's just to accept the fact you are accepted. Can't you just feel your confidence level reach, reaching for another level, just hearing it? And lastly, he connects Peter with the conversation of passion. I told you when I started here, too often you find people and Christians with their, their life just on kind of a simmer level. And simmer Though, you know, it gets you by, simmer is really not what we're intended to be. We're intended to be people of passion. We're intended to live from a place of passion, to have the, the, have the light turned up to high. And I think what Peter is experiencing here with each question, it wasn't Jesus trying to find if he really did love him. But with each question, it was like, you know, I don't know if Peter said the word darn, but it was like, you know darn well I love you, Lord. And after he said it a third time, it was like, I do love the Lord. I love the Lord more than my denial. That's who I really am. I really care about him. I really want to live my life from that place. I think Jesus was smiling by the time the third question was asked because he could see the flame already burning. And it had risen and his confidence level had gone up. Is it any wonder that when you go to the book of Acts, you see Peter, a different man? Peter, a man who wasn't perfect, who still had some ups and downs, but really quite clearly a person living from a very authentic place, very connected with himself, very connected with his Lord. So here's what I'm asking you to consider. What would be possible in your life if you, if you actually stopped settling for life on simmer and you actually got really reconnected to your love for Christ and his love for you? What would happen in your life if you actually really lived your life from a place I accept the fact I'm accepted. I can't earn it. I can't improve on it. I can't perform for it, but I can just accept it. What would happen in your life if you actually lived your life like John Wesley and actually really totally depended on God and at the same time acted as if it totally depended on you, like pedal to the floor in both departments? What would happen? Here's the thought that I'm going to leave you with. Jesus was willing to work with a father who had a certain amount of confidence and a certain amount of lack of confidence. Not a problem for Jesus. I don't think he's changed. In fact, I know he hasn't. And if that's the case, then what could he do in your life? What could he do to reverse self-betrayal? What could he do to reverse a legacy of not regarding your word? What could he do with you? And not only in you, but what could he do through you? I already start, told you that this congregation's made a difference for me that your pastor has made a difference for me. So my question is, is what difference can you make for others? I think that is part of the legacy and the mission of every believer and certainly part of the legacy of this congregation that is yet to be revealed. 
Now the worship team's going to come up, and they're going to close us in a worship song. And we're going to also uh, receive the morning giving, so you can prepare for that. And the ushers will be coming forward. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you that there is no one like you, never has been, never will be. You are eternally fantastic and unique. And Father God, we love you. We need you. And we want you. Lord, you said, let our light shine before men, that they would glorify you. So, Lord, we get a sense that has to do about really living from an authentic place of passion. And, Lord, that's what, that's, that is where we're aiming in life. So, as we go forward into life, I just pray, I just pray that we would be so aware of your nearness, so aware of your presence, that would really literally shock us into a level of life, activity, and awakeness that would make a difference for us and others. In Jesus' name.